Exodus we've reached up to Exodus 29 or so. And as we look at the scriptures, Genesis was a book of beginnings, and Genesis was where the Lord dealt with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and before them, he had intimate relationship with Noah, and before Noah, most notably Enoch, and of course Adam and Eve. And the Lord promised through Jacob, through Abraham, what was going to happen to the descendants who were known as children of Jacob or children of Israel, as Jacob's name was changed. And God promised and prophesied to Abraham, and it's been documented for us, that he was going to allow his people to be multiplied in a strange land or be foreigners. And sure enough, when a famine happened, Jacob and uh, his 11 sons went to meet Joseph by providence, God arranging this. And then they began to settle there, and they multiplied quickly to the point where, after a generation, a new pharaoh arose, and all the favor that they had was lost, and they were oppressed, and they were made slaves. All of a sudden, they went from being on top of things with all the favor to become nobodies, and worse than that, people who are oppressed and beaten. And God, as he said, he was watching until the fullness of time. God teaches us that we need to trust him and persevere when things don't seem to be working. And these Israelites, many of them certainly forgot about God, and they were just having this mentality that we are cursed, perhaps getting beaten, we're being pushed around, we're being oppressed, we're slaves. And God encountered Moses, who he took from the palace. Before that, he was in the Nile River, on an ark made of pitch. And uh, he was a child of two Hebrew slaves in the land of Egypt. So Moses technically was a slave. He was born into slavery. The Lord protected him when Pharaoh slaughtered all the children and he slaughtered the male children and uh, Moses was saved and that too showing God's absolute control of the situation, even though it looked like there's no end to this vicious behavior and treatment that they got from the Egyptian taskmasters and Pharaoh. God guided that little ark for the baby that the parents who had faith made, seeing something good in him. They saw this child who stood out in beauty and they had this divine revelation, this child is special and he's going to be spared 
and they took action. And the child was led by God's guidance. He didn't cross the Red Sea yet, but he went across a portion of the Nile River and landed right where Pharaoh's daughter was. And he was raised in that place where his people were slaves. And he grew up with the divine protection and provision to this divine providence. But he remembered his identity. He wasn't a person who was of low character, but he had strong character, and so he said, I've got to do something about this. And uh, he tried to solve a local problem, and he used his own human strength. And although he stood for justice, he did something that caused him to flee Egypt, and he left everything. So in a sense, he went from zero to a hundred and then back to zero, minus the oppression when he became a shepherd in the back desert of Midian. There he met his wife, and for 40 years, he felt like, where is my life going, perhaps? I have a measure of peace. It seems like it's supposed to work out. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe in a marriage, maybe in having children, maybe in getting a career, maybe in acquiring property. The usual things that people look to and they go through motions in life and they acquire some, they lose some, and they seem to be going forward in the usual cycle of life. But there's no satisfaction. There's a measure of gratification, perhaps, and for Christians, thankfulness, especially Christians. And even non-Christians, they can have a measure of fulfillment. But gnawing deep in the heart is a realization that this has to be more. And so for the Christian who is not intimately connected with God, there's a period of being in this uh, zone of wondering what really is this supposed to lead to. There are periods where you feel lonely. That's uh, God-designed loneliness because we're meant to be dependent upon God and live with Him, created in His image. We're not created, each one of us, in the image of our husbands or wives or children or parents, spiritually, but in the image of the living God. And the essence of a person is the soul, the spirit. That's the real us. As the Bible says, this body is a tent. It's a temporary tent. It's like someone going camping. They purchase a tent and they put up the tent. It's used for a while and the purpose is served, but then the tent comes down and the people come out. And even nomads, they don't stay in one place and stay in that tent every second. There's a time in which they fold up the tent and whatever they use for that temporary tabernacle and they move on. The soul within us will move on from this body. And the sooner we realize that and not only accept it, 
but understand what it means that this is a temporary covering for the soul, which is the real you and me, then we would pay attention to the soul with utmost care and make sure that soul that was made in the image of God is taken care of, connected with God to whom it will go. The tent can be weatherproof, but for only so long, and so with the bodies. Some tents last longer than others, and so with the human bodies, namely the cycle of biological or human life for every person. Moses had this period where he would have been disillusioned and wondering what's happening, even though I can settle down, I don't have the stress of being there, watching over my shoulders to make sure nobody's after me because he did this and Pharaoh knew. He went and killed an Egyptian. He was not an Egyptian. And it's there that God waits for 40 years in the fullness of time and Moses is a humble man and he's learning. Anytime we feel things aren't happening fast enough, we need to trust God, not simply for a better day, uh, something to come out of this boredom or make me feel more satisfied, looking for the next best thing, and I know God will do it, but during the waiting period, there needs to be a satisfaction that my God is not only watching over me, he's with me. God is always speaking. We have ears to hear. Now, there are times in which divinely arranged encounters will come, but from encounter to encounter of that kind, there's a period in which we need to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. Once Moses was commissioned, the deliverance began, and it began with these Miraculous plagues. Miraculous because God did it and defied every human understanding of normal events. And then plagues because it was a punishment for the oppressors of his people. God is the just God and he brought them out with an outstretched arm and they came through the Red Sea miraculously. And then they came into a period of testing. We talked about faith briefly the other day. And faith may begin by acceptance, but it has to move on to um, trusting God. And then it has to move on from there to obeying God. And that's the sequence that we see as God dealt with his people, and so with each one of us, he teaches us how to draw near and trust him. We're going over a quick overview of Exodus, beginning with the origin of Israel from Genesis, and we're going to read the scriptures themselves in just a few moments. But as they were so excited and they came out from the Red Sea experience, miracle of miracles never has it ever been seen before. The water stood as a heap on either side, like two great walls, and they walked, not on muddy ground, but God made the ground dry. Another miracle. 
they walked on dry ground. They couldn't walk in the sloggy, muddy ground, but they walked on dry ground. And they sang. Even Moses' sister, Miriam, his oldest sister, she sang praises, and she, with the women, were dancing and celebrating with tambourines. Or at least Miriam had a tambourine, and they were worshipping. They were excited. They came through. Like we get excited when God comes through for us. He brings us through. He gives something. He does something marvelous. But then following that, there's a period in which God trains us to trust Him. We need to be able to trust Him, and that's when the trials come. And the first thing we saw was they just came out just a few days and they began to complain at the waters of Mara, meaning bitter. And they didn't trust God. And then they had another test and they were hungry and they started longing for Egypt again even though God provided the water in the previous incident and he provided the quail and the manna, they weren't satisfied. They weren't satisfied that God could carry them through each trial. And then they had another test with relations to water at Rephidim. They seemed to really not be able to trust God. Not because he wasn't worthy to be trusted. Not because he didn't do miracles. He did everything. And that's what can happen to people. We become uh, used to getting from God and then complain as soon as something doesn't seem to work out fast enough or the way in which we think it should. Is far more than just immaturity the way we see it. It's a breach of trust and sin before God because it causes people not to honor God as God. And the main thing becomes our complaining, our tantruming because it's all self-centered. Instead of looking to him and saying, Father, show me, show me what to do and how to do it and how to trust you during this time of tests or trial. And the Lord exposed them to war when they were fighting Amalek. God was grooming them, preparing them. And so in our lives, he's, he's working on a step-by-step, stage-by-stage He's making something out of us. People go into the armed forces and often you hear the statement that uh, some kid gets drafted into the army and he has no concept at all, not only of war, but of how to be a soldier. The sergeant often will be quoted as saying, I'm going to make a man out of you. I'm going to make a man out of you. In other words, there's going to be some character building. It's going to take some trials, some training. 
So God trains us. After these initial tests, we saw the people were given the law. God was introducing his moral perfection. And not just saying, this is my moral perfection captured in these laws, and so you can just look at it all day, but you can't keep them, sorry. I know you can't keep them, so I'm going to just give them to you to tease you. That's how many people read the Old Testament, and they preach it to this very day. God knew you couldn't keep the laws, so then why did he give it? They say, well, to school you, to be a tutor until you came to Christ. Is that why he gave punishment if people broke the law? We can't bring perfection to God the way only Jesus' blood can make us perfect. But we can be perfect in the sense that we can do what he says. So in essence, if you reduce the law to a statement, the requirements of it is to do what God says because you're in a covenant with him. You have a relationship with him. We're drawing near, just like a family would have certain rules, some unspoken and some spoken, communicated. So understood that you don't betray your family. You don't take the food that your mother gives you and scatter it all over the neighborhood and then claim that your mother didn't feed you. That's understood. You don't go to 10 different neighbors' houses and say, well, they're my mother's. My real mother, she's just one among many. It's understood. You don't do that. That was the basic thing God was asking, but what did they do? They, first of all, made themselves God because they kicked and screamed if they didn't get a raise. They kicked and screamed if they didn't have nice weather when they went camping. They kicked and screamed and they complained against God if whatever A, B, and C, all the way to Z didn't work out when they wanted to work out the way they wanted to work out. You can just see God so grieved. When will they ever trust me? Why did they worship themselves? And so the first thing God says in the law is, you should have no other God before me. Idol worshippers, first and foremost, are not people with statues. Statues. That the people who love themselves so much in a wrong way. And the Lord said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, the way you would care for yourself, do the same for your neighbor. Don't treat them any less. Because that's true love. That's God's heart. But to love oneself to the point where what I feel is what goes is the cause for conflicts, usually within families, within nations, also within the individual. There's a, there's a kind of split personality there. The Bible says there's an old nature and a new nature. There's a contest and a competition and a war going on for the person who's born again. But the victory is ours and it's not crawling with the flags all beaten up and bruised victory is mine and saying it with a 
great effort. groaning but the flesh has been crucified with Christ we don't have to live for self we're supposed to live for God these people even though they weren't born again obviously they had very very close encounters with God they saw miracles that no one else has seen they heard God's voice later on we'll see after all of that they decide to make a physical golden calf. You know why? The idols come out forged in fire and the work of men's hands. They don't see, they don't smell, they don't hear. But people who can see, smell, and hear talk, they bow down to things that cannot. You know why? Because they have bought the lie from Lucifer who came and said, you got to do this. Because it makes you feel good. It makes you feel you're part of a culture, part of a religion, and this way, the way we do things. Isn't it colorful and bright? All fake, like Christmas with all the tinsel and foil. And the exchanging of gifts and all such things. And the majority of people don't really care. But it's a custom. If I don't do it, they'll think bad of me. God sees all the motivation. That's why God says if you don't love don't pretend. We read that last evening, First John three eighteen to twenty one. Don't just say you love in word, but do it in deed and in truth. Show it. Not simply by giving gifts, but from the heart. It has to be. I want to do this because I care about that person. These people didn't understand that the law was based on love. It's because God loved them that he gave them the law. And when he said, thou shalt not commit adultery, he expected them to keep it. Not to say, well, I know you can't keep it, and that's why I sent Jesus. No, 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 no. Samuel didn't fail. At keep, he was married. He was never an adulterer. Noah was never an adulterer. He was married. And the societies, you had multiple wives and all kinds of things happening. These are faithful people. How did they do it? Were they superhuman? Were they created somewhere else? And so many people in the Bible, in the Old Testament, they kept the law to the point where Zacharias and Elizabeth were commended by God as Old Testament saints coming at the very threshold of the new covenant with Jesus. They were coming up to that. But they kept the law and the statutes, ordinances perfectly. You need to understand, the law cannot save a person the way the blood of Jesus can save them and transform them through and through. However, God expected people to walk by faith and keep the law by faith, but keep the law. He didn't give the law to tease people. To say, I know you couldn't keep it. The covenant was given at Sinai. And God told them, as we were reading lately, everything has to be touched with this blood of the animals because you require this atonement, this covering for your sin. 
And he went further after talking about the sacrifices. We read about the tabernacle, that God is going to dwell with them and show them the separation still. He kept showing them from the beginning, I'm holy. If you come near me, you've got to be holy. I can make you holy. You have to trust me. You have to believe me and follow through with every regulation I give you so you can understand and be consecrated. They were called a kingdom of priests. I want to dispel any confusion at this point. Sometimes you've heard me say that we are kingdom of priests. And so it says in the epistle of Peter, a chosen generation or race, a Christian race, born-again race, a royal priesthood, who, male and female, everyone is born again. But we need to realize the same thing was said of these Israelites, that you are to me a kingdom of priests. Now, under their system, they were purified by the blood of the animals, but it took faith in their hearts to keep the word of God and to act like a kingdom of priests. In the New Covenant, we're given the blood of Jesus to make us a kingdom of priests. Far superior, as we read the book of Hebrews recently. But we need to understand, even though all believers are priests in that sense, there are people called apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers who although they're priests also in the general sense, they're given a special calling that goes beyond that. Special responsibilities to be leaders, not in the worldly sense, but God appointed, God anointed. If they are. The majority aren't. We've heard that plenty of times. Plenty of times. Many people are self-appointed. It's a danger. The call of God is from God, not from man. And so people who appoint people, you can be assistant pastor and you can be a deacon. I think he'll fit that role or she'll fit that role. Come on, let's all use our talents. Yes, talents are given to be used. Every member of the body of Christ has been given and will be given talents and gifts but you see, there are many places where everybody's encouraged to use the talents and gifts. They say, well, it's biblical, yes. But not before your heart is right. God says, if your heart is not right, don't come near me at all. But how many places and churches, they have offices and they have activities and you're in charge of this ministry and use your talents. Isn't it wonderful? Everybody gets to use their talents and this the way it should be. How many times I've heard that and everybody gets so pumped up and boosted in their ego and they think, well, it's wonderful. Everybody's doing something. We're all building the kingdom of God. But God says, you're not only not building my kingdom, even though you have a lot of things going on here and you have a lot of titles and offices and talents being used, you're actually destroying my work. But Lord, I don't see anything built. I'd see buildings going up. I see kindergarten, uh, nursery ministries expanding. I see the Christian school expanding. This is a wonderful huge kingdom of God work over here in this church. Look at that. We're going over highways and byways and telling people 
about God and the church. We're giving tracts and we're inviting them over. And we have a motorcycle ministry here for people who like to dress up like whatever motorcycle enthusiasts of various ages look like. And we have another one, men's basketball ministry. We're going to go into the neighborhoods and play ball and tell the children about God. And we have a coffee and pantry ministry. And we God's looking at the heart from the leader on down. Who's really been sanctified and is walking uprightly before me? If not, this is a show, a circus. This is trickery and deceit. So God is saying, I'm not part of any of this. It's a dangerous thing to be deceived like that. These people were shown from the beginning, you've got to be purified. and Stay that way. And so the difference was shown by God. What is filthy and what is not? The application for us is, although we don't have the regulations for washing and bodily purification like the Jews had built in, you see, they were shown these physical things and physical covering with the blood to point to a spiritual reality much deeper than the outward things that they did. That was the function of it. Even circumcision was to show circumcision of the heart. When they missed that, God rebuked them for that. He chastened them. He spoke to the prophets as he does to this day to tell his people, don't think you're a kingdom of priests because I pronounced it. You have to act like it. You have to walk in my word in the light of what I've done for you in obedience and in faith. Otherwise, it's like a kid's play. They're supposed to be sanctified. So with the giving of the law came this reality that you've got to be purified. It's not just the law and look up this law and ordinance on the internet. What did God say? What's the 611th commandment? Let's try hard to do this, children. Come on, wife, husband. No, we need God's Spirit to touch us and circumcise our hearts. We need to be pure. We need to be careful in our transactions. We need to be honest. We need to be pure in our hearts and our minds. That was the focus of God. They were given this. So they come out of Egypt. They have these tests and they fail. And they're exposed to battle. As later they're going to take over that promised land. They have this problem of constantly thinking about themselves and whining and complaining and bad-mouthing God. Who are they trying to be? God? They want to call the shots and they want to say what goes and how it goes. Not very different from most Christians today, quote-unquote Christians. The moment something is difficult, God asks them to do something begin to whine and complain. Even if they do it, there's resentment within. Why? Why? Why not say, Lord, this is ugly that I see in me. I'm going to crucify it. I don't want it popping up again and again. That's when you have another brother or sister, as we mentioned last evening. It's okay. Don't feel bad. Don't get so hard on yourself. Come on. Everybody gets jealous. Everybody gets angry. God wants you to do something. calls you to do something. Oh, why can't he call somebody else? Well, I guess I'll do it. God doesn't want that kind of service. He notes everything because he looks right at the heart. Why not do the right thing? Why not say, Lord, 
my reaction is not right. He had to point out what Cain did was wrong, hoping that Cain would receive it, but he became more bitter and more self-worshipping and ended up killing his brother. It's danger in complaining and murmuring, being resentful, as mob mentality can come, as it happens in cultures and neighborhoods and families. Because the seed is already there from Satan. The moment somebody has a clever idea, why don't we go and set fire to this property? Why don't we wish that they get hurt? It's good for them. And why don't we go kill them? Various degrees of this monstrosity of sinful nature. We had a question from somebody some time ago. One of the people who attend the LTS. And she was asking a question about property. She said, Pastor, uh, this church wants to take over a portion of property that we own. And uh, from what I remember, they want to make some kind of bargain. And Is it right? Should we just fight for the right here and get the right pray? I understand if it's people who are sincere and they want to expand the kingdom of God, it's an honor to partner with that. It's not taking over your whole property. People are so conscious about property and money, you can't touch even a part of it. It's mine, all mine, like the cartoon characters. What happens, it blows up in their face when they say it's all mine. It's a human fallen nature. We need to watch for covetousness and greediness. Loving self and my image and there's a sense of protecting what God gives you. We shouldn't be squanderers or we shouldn't be slack. We should be wise. At the same time, we shouldn't be covetous. The people had the syndrome of self-worship. God was continually warning them. If you do that, I'll cut you off. Not because God is egotistical. Because they're in darkness at that time. They're acting like the devil. So he did the miracles. He gave the covenant at Sinai. He gave them a few tests. Very simple. They had a leader, no less, who was following God. They didn't care about anything like a lot of people today. doesn't matter if I saw miracles like in our church. I saw miracles. I saw this. I saw prophecy like I've never seen it before. People's lives changed. And not only my own, but I've heard testimonies. Only God could have done this. But to submit to the leadership and to honor the leadership under God so they can be well, sometimes this ugly thing comes out. Why should I? Who does Moses think he is anyway? It's, it's a problem, not for the leader, but for the person. If the leader loves God, is doing God's will, and so the Persian continues. The Persian continues. Because God is a just God. He watches. The covenant was entered into by Israel. With that, he gave the building construction instructions of the tabernacle. And by the way, someone forwarded me a couple of pictures and asked me, Pastor, can we use these pictures? I don't know if it's accurate. 
And I replied that there are many pictures on the net that we can look at. And even some of the study Bibles you own, they'll have some rough sketches of the tabernacle. It's good to have some visuals sometimes. And uh, priest's garment. You can read the Bible and see whether somebody has taken liberty that goes beyond what the Bible says in some visual representation or something has the basic concept and I can get a basic idea. It's up to you how far you want to go and study this. So much is available today, but the guiding principle is we need to have a heart to love God and have a great desire to know just the truth, nothing taken away, nothing added. God will guide you. But often in the study Bibles, there are diagrams. The covenant was entered into. The tabernacle was given the instruction. They started building. And simultaneously, we had the priesthood, the installation of the priests. First, the high priest, Aaron, Moses' own brother. And this intricate design, beautiful, glorious, colorful design, given by God. And he said, all of this tabernacle construction mirrors what's in heaven. And the priests were consecrated with blood. Everything was consecrated with blood. Even the book of the law. And the people. Blood. Morning and evening. Sacrifice after sacrifice. People knew we cannot come to God without blood. Why? We have heathen religions, demonic religions, where you have bloodthirsty demons. They require human sacrifice and all kinds of atrocities. But this was shown very clearly the human being is more important than the animal. Isn't that clear from here? Why would somebody take an innocent lamb? Didn't do anything wrong. That to a beautiful lamb without blemish on Passover and slaughter it all over the land. Human beings far more valuable than animals. No animal was made in the image of God. No animal has a soul like a human being. That's why the Lord, when he came into human existence, into the physical world, he came as a human being, not as an animal. Not in some reincarnation. The Christian religion is so pure and so sensible. Such a display of God's eternal grace. Such a beautiful trajectory of perfection where God comes to corruption and he does something beautiful out of it. And when we study Exodus, we see how God does this. He does it through the word, through the blood. And through his spirit, showing the heart and essence of all of the law, even with the rituals. And lately we've been reading about the priesthood. A few chapters before Exodus resumes the construction of the tabernacle. That's where we're at. As we listen and we see the Old Testament priest, the way the high priest was treated and how he was washed Moses was instructed that you need to wash Aaron and prepare him. That sense of purity and holiness, consecration, 
is what we need to carry and take away from this. First, the leaders. Then the laity or the people. Everybody's supposed to be holy. That's something that is foreign to people in the church today. They have no concept of it. They may tell you in Hebrew this and that. But they still go living life the way they like to. They think nothing about despising someone or talking behind someone's back or cheating someone even. These are things that disturb the human heart that's been touched by God's Spirit. That I have to have integrity. I, I don't care what anybody else is doing or what most of them are doing. Even in the church or among the leadership of carnal churches. I have another standard. Higher standard. It's God's standard. I fear God. I'm not going to cut corners here because of advantage. I'm going to do it the right way. It's not nice to be persecuted. But God says if you're persecuted for righteousness sake, don't worry, you'll be rewarded. It's an honor. Because when you suffer for doing the right thing, God says in the book of Peter that the glory of God rests upon you. How beautiful. We need understanding to know how to face trials and persecution. Go through life completely renouncing self-worship. And think about God worship, how to worship God. So God ratified that covenant. Then he gave the tabernacle construction instructions. And as we turn the scriptures here, we'll look at this briefly. We read chapter 28, I believe, in verse 36. Let me call your attention to verse 36 of Exodus 28. And you shall make a plate of pure gold and write upon it, engrave upon it, holiness to the Lord. And you put that on a blue lace that it may, have up, up, may be upon this miter or crown upon the forefront and put that on Aaron's forehead. That Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel shall hallow or make holy in all their holy gifts. And it shall be always upon his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Aaron was representing the people to God. And in doing so, he himself had to be cleansed. He needed a sacrifice too. But he was also representing the holiness of God to the people. A man. The high priest Jesus Christ, our high priest is representing us to the Father all the time now. Ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. Now a man here gets to a man gets to represent God to the people. And when people later on began to not only put down Moses, they wanted to compete with him, they also want to put down Aaron, compete with him, and God stepped in and showed them. I selected him. Don't grumble against him. Don't compete with him. It's a very grave responsibility. But you have a problem that has come down to the centuries. They want to tell God, God, 
Come on, we're all equal, God. Moses, Moses, Joseph, Aaron, Karen. They're all the same. It's just that he's wearing these garments and he has another job to do. Nine to five job, that's about it. He's just like us, just a sinner like you and me. That's not how Moses and Aaron were, even though both of them fell and Aaron in a big way. The general demeanor of these men, they were afraid that they had such a great responsibility and they made sure they followed through. There's no argument. Moses, I don't like this ephod color. Can you have it changed? They understood this is God that said this. And you have a solemn responsibility to supervise and represent people before God, the people, and all the sacrifices. So generally speaking, they were very careful in their duties. They feared God. It's not the common people's idea or career mentality. So people were actually people were actually told that this is a special office and everybody, the couple of million people they watched when Aaron was installed as high priest. They watched how that ministry began, the intercession, and how even the other priests will see today, but Aaron's sons, Aaron actually, and then his sons in the next chapter. Let's go to chapter 29. The people were clearly shown that this is a higher standard. And so now the New Testament, even though we're all a kingdom priests, remember he said that to Israel when he brought them out. There's some level that is different for those who are called to be leaders, pastors, evangelists, and teachers, apostles and prophets. It's Satan that comes and says, why can't I? Brings corruption in, tries to defile the church of God. Now, plenty of times we've mentioned that there are people who abuse that. First of all, people were never called. And they assumed titles of apostles, their fancy garments. Many, many churches and places we've seen you see a certain priestly garment, maybe the man has a long beard, he's graying, or a white beard, and or no beard, and all types of priests and uh, apostles and prophets, fancy garments and big voices, big publicity. They're false, they're fake. They're just playing masquerade party. They'll drop right into hell however long they served as a priest or a bishop or whatever they call themselves or a pastor. They were not called of God. But they liked the fame and the popularity and the respect like the Pharisees and the money and they knew how to build their business and empire around peddling God's word. As the Apostle Paul said, we're not like that. He said, we're seeking your profit for you not for ourselves. If we want to do that, we do something else. But there are those who take advantage and they get gullible people who heap up for themselves 
leaders, they like to tell them. We don't discriminate whether you're sleeping around. It's okay if you watch the soap opera. We have liberty. I'm not here to judge you and condemn you. I feel great in that kind of church organization. Many, many organizations, whether Indian or Spanish or African American or wherever they come from, you have a cultural kind of bondage in which people are so attached to culture that the devil uses that very thing to keep them from spiritual life. They're so loyal and faithful. Every convention, they're gathered together. I can speak from my own particular background, not that I had a part with it, but people that I've talked to over the years, even the secular job when I worked there. They say, we're going to Washington, D.C. for what? A convention. What kind of convention? They named a particular denomination. All over the place, they'll switch their schedules, get their vacation time. We've got to make it to the convention. we got a whole hotel chain open up for us. We, we know people own hotels there. And what is it? To come together for a cultural fest in the name of Christ? Nobody gets changed. You have people drinking and swearing and lying and fighting and physically abusing one another. Children unruly, but they have shiny shoes and they show up for the convention. Shiny garments, white teeth, a lot of money to show that they've made it. How foolish and revolting to God, masquerading as Christians with no connection to Christ. After all, a Christian is a follower of Christ. No, they follow money and image and culture. Let the culture be cursed if it stands in the way of anyone coming to Christ. But culture is a beautiful thing. Just like races are created by God with variations. Geographical locations vary. People's customs vary. So long as it doesn't come and cloud up somebody's understanding that I need to repent of my sins. Regardless of whether that person is 70 years old and has a big white beard and priestly garments and he's the bishop of the so-and-so. Look, we flew him over from all the way from the other side of the world. We have the authentic, real Christianity. If that man has not been called of God, does not live a holy life, you have a whole bunch of goats cheering on a big goat. They all go to hell together, no matter how many churches they built in this foreign soil or native soil. God have mercy. And on the other hand, you may have someone who's called of God. That person is trembling before God. Lord, I'm supposed to speak and I tremble. I don't want anything of myself, my God. What is it you want me to say? And they spend time seeking God's face because they have a great responsibility to give the people, not what they may want to give by human inclination or what the people came to hear. As entertainment goes, give the people what they came for. That's how you make an entertainment grow and business grow. Give them what they came for. But it's not a business, as I mentioned last evening. It's not a shop where you cater to the people. That is their carnal desires, to make a profit out of it. You deliver the word of God. Save their souls. 
that you go on forever in one of two places, either in the lake of fire, as hell will be thrown into the lake of fire, or in heaven with God in New Jerusalem. And this is the thing that you shall do to make them holy, to minister unto me in the priest's office. Take one young bullock and two rams without blemish. I have the King James in front of me. I'm going to switch to the new King James. We're in chapter 29. And this is what you shall do to them, to hallow them, or make them holy, for ministering to me as priests. Imagine if somebody, a priest or a pastor, has to show up to God's office every day. We saw with the funding that was required for the tabernacle, God says, let them bring, anyone who's willing, he said, let them bring to me my offering. God is the preeminent one. That's why our church is called El Bethel. There are others with similar names, but usually you hear Bethel. But the focus is the God El of the Beth house, El of God. The focus is on the God of the house of God, not on the house of God, not on the people, not on anybody, but God himself. He is the one that this is all about. Verse 1 of chapter 29 and this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them for ministering to me as priests to make them holy take one young bull and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread unleavened cakes mixed with oil can you imagine them getting all the ingredients together this is what God said to do there's a meaning all this foreshadows who the perfect bread from heaven Christ unleavened bread without malice, as the apostle says, meaning everything points to consecration. Is it mixed with oil and unleavened wafers, anointed with oil, you shall make them of wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket. Can you see people carrying this for the consecration service? There's a basket full of this wafers and cakes mixed with oil, unleavened bread, but they also bring the sacrificed animals. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. What's happening, mommy, daddy, what's happening? That man there, Moses' brother, older brother, he's going to be installed as a high priest. Now, have you ever witnessed installation ceremonies, secular and religious? Have you felt the presence of God? Not just the emotional high and pictures flashing and cameras flashing rather and Video cameras rolling and look how beautiful. Ah, ooh, like a parade. It's just something we do. God's presence is here. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and you shall wash them with water. Can't they wash themselves before they come here? There's a reason God did this publicly. Doesn't mean they were without clothing. But their bodies, their arms, their being was washed clearly God was saying you've got to be purified even though this the high priest and he's going to represent the people to me he's representing them to me and he's going to represent me to them he's got to be pure the symbolic 
to show to what lengths God expects purity. How dangerous to come into God's presence or call someone himself or herself a pastor or a prophet or a prophetess or an apostle or a bishop or a deacon or whatever. You better be right with God. Otherwise, he'll take action sooner or later. Then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, and the robe of the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven, woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head, and put the holy crown, that mitre, in the King James language, on the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil. What does the mitre say back in chapter 28, verse 36? Holiness to the Lord. In the book of First Peter, it says, Be ye holy. God says, For I am holy. It's not simply, I'm a child of the king, and sing that song. Stop running around like you're God, and doing whatever you feel like, and calling whoever, and talking, and wasting time. And People want to feel important, so they talk. A lot. We should be talking to God in private a lot more than we talk in public. That's the truth. If we want to be God's people, then that will regulate very quickly, very thoroughly what we say in all our mannerisms to represent God. It will come as a natural outflow of spending time with God. But people, especially ministers, spend very little time checking their hearts before God. Main thing is I've got to make the calls and set things in place. A lot of activity, a lot of buzzing going around. That's why it's so lame. Nobody really gets saved. And like the Pharisees, he says, you compass land and sea to make one convert a proselyte. And after you get that person, you make that person a twofold son of hell than you are. This is Jesus' words. So busy about community and making converts and doing this and that. No attention to your own state before the living God to whom you must give account and for the flock. Jesus says, you're a, you're a son of hell. That's what you are. I know you're dressed like a priest and you're a priest and all those things and you can recite the scriptures and you can sermonize, boy, and have the women swooning over there or whatever and the men jumping up on their feet and putting their money in that offering. You know how to get a crowd and be charismatic? The Lord says, you're son of hell. And the people who are in your flock, you make them two full sons of hell. What an indictment. That's how seriously it is before God. Serious uh, of an offense. It's God's heart. Read Matthew 23. God just tears down the mask of not only the Pharisees of his day, but much of what you see today. But there is a remnant. There are people who fear the living God and say, Lord, at the end of the day, when I stand before you, it's going to be one-on-one, -on -one, Lord. You're going to rewind and play everything that I never confessed and repented from. So I'm going to make sure I confess thoroughly and repent and push out ugliness from my life, Satan's character and Satan's mannerisms, Satan's whispering and backbiting and it's amazing that people don't feel that in their conscience. How, they, how could they pray? That means the prayers are not accepted with God. 
just like the person who brings the sacrifice to God must be pure. Otherwise, God says, your sacrifice, all these elaborate things you do with the flower and the ephahs of flour and the rams and goats and bulls and lambs, the turtle doves and whatever you do, even with the washing and you change your garments and you put on that powder as they do in certain cultures. You want to look fresh and you, you got the oil on your head and everything in place. Perfect. You're a great candidate for the celebration. Come on in. You smell nice. You look nice. You must feel nice. And we'd like you to be a part of our crowd because it makes everybody else be part of the nice, beautiful people. And where are we going? We're going to serve God. Corruption in the heart. No obedience to the Lord in the heart. Bringing what? Lord, have you got the boat, son? Did you get the rams? Mom, do you have the basket? You know what God said? We better follow it to the T now. And pastor comes and says, well, congratulations, you, you did it. You're the family that's the ideal model here. Let me tell everybody. Look at the basket, everybody. Do you have that? Make sure you have the weed and the flour. Okay. You have a bullock. Look at this family now. Look how prepared. Look how beautiful. Look at the teeth. And look at the stuff they brought. Boy, are they ready? How many people pump people up? It's a circus. No fear of God. This is God's house. God is calling us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. There's no time for comedy and foolishness. Especially boasting people's ego and getting the carnal-minded people Wow, how can I be like them? How many communities they come together in churches looking at other people's vehicles? I've literally been told by people in my own community as far as the culture is concerned, race. Literally been told by people, these men who are 20, 30 years older than myself, who belong to these traditional kind of churches. We're going to have a convention. We're going to have all these people come fly in and we're going to make all the arrangements. Yes, I'm going. Every year we do it. Yes. And this one man told me, the pastor told me, this Indian man told me, that time he's living in Long Island. Now he's moved. He said, the pastor told me that if you're going to live in this community and come to this church, you can't come in a Honda. Can you imagine that? God is my witness. This Indian man who's working hard in the job, saving money and working hard, providing for the family, always dressed nice, pleasant man. We're having a conversation about the things of the Lord one day. This was probably 20 years ago. And he says to me, yeah, 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 our church is over there. We're building another church. The whole Indian community comes together. Let's build a big church. Very loyal people, generous people for the community project. And he said this with all seriousness. My heart just dropped within me. That is my conscience. How could this go on like this? He said, the pastor told me you can't come to this community church. Look at the other people's cars. What do they have? You name the brands or the manufacturers, the models. 
He said, you can't come to this community and this church with that kind of car. So it's about image. As we heard on Sunday, the I image, not the God image. The people were to bring their offerings and the offerings had to be proven that they're acceptable to God by the person who's offering it if they were acceptable. If the heart is not right and we're living for image and people pleasing, then we're following Satan's religion and masquerading as Christians. God will tear the mask off. We heard last evening again, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God This written to Christians in the New Testament under the covenant of grace. There's a warning there. Don't dismiss the Old Testament. Oh, that's the priest, bullocks and all. Thank God we don't have that. We have Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Amen. We read this with reverence and understand. It's not simply to be some orthodox traditional Jew or Christian. We start making the motions, you know, like they do at the Wailing Wall. You know, show that contrition by moving back and forth. We can do that. If the heart is right, God accepts it. But too often, the heart has nothing to do with the outward motions. That's what God is after. You bring the bullock, the two rams. Now take the garments, verse 5 of Exodus 29, and put upon Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastplate and gird him with the curious girdle of the ephod. Back to the King James here. Let me go to the New King James. And continuing with verse 6, you shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them. And you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. What's the sum of all of this? So you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. You shall have, you shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting. Imagine after Aaron has all this stuff on him, his body's washed, this uh, beautiful, glorious stones on his breastplate, the onyx stones on each shoulder, and he's got this linen garment down to the foot, and he's got this turban, and then the mitre, holiness unto the Lord. And I mean, he's just dazzling. But you know what? And he's got the unleavened cakes and the bullock and all this, two rams, and if he has sin in his heart, God would have killed them right there with his garments. We need to understand that. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. How much more a New Testament pastor or an evangelist or a teacher or apostle or prophet? Such a supreme joy and confidence. Lord, there's no one that I have in heaven but you. I'm looking for you. And on earth, while I'm alive here, Lord, I really don't desire anyone more than you. Even though you may love your spouse, what a joy and freedom. A person who really, really loves his or her spouse. I mean, the spouse is the whole world, literally, to that person. Take the whole world, but give me Jesus. Below that, take the whole world, but give me my husband, my wife. 
are my children, the human relationship. These are my world. He is my world. She is my world. That's how it should be in a human relationship. But under supreme desire for the Holy One of Israel, God who loved us and died for us, who made us and has given us His Word even this morning, how beautiful He is, how lovely. Not only are your dwelling place, O oh God, your tabernacles, your dwelling places, but you, God makes heaven heaven. Hallelujah. Because of His presence. If I love Him and I fear Him, I'll make sure no matter what I do that's religious or reflects piety, worship or prayer, do you know if Aaron would have been killed and rejected, no matter who brought what bullocks on his behalf and he himself went through the motions, he had sin, a treacherous heart. Do you think your prayers will be accepted before God if you have sin in your heart? Psalm 66, 18, we should know that by heart now. We've mentioned it so many times. I really can't say when I've heard it in any sermon that I've heard in the past 40 or so years. Something we need to keep continually in our hearts. If I regard sin in my heart, God will not hear me. I can pray. People can pray with me. They can agree with me. They can lay hands on me. I can lay hands on them. The problem is God's hand won't be upon us. No blessing from Him. It won't even reach Him. We can have prayer circles and like we had a family that come to the old church. They were all excited about revival. But the entire family got up and left the service. The children actually wanted to stay, but the parents said, we got to go, we got to go. Why? The children are hungry. They left the worship because the children are hungry. The real reason was they were not at all in tune with what the Spirit of God was doing. They left. But you know what? They made a network of uh, movements there. And some of our church members know. And I think they were inviting them also. It's not simply about your style of worship. The Holy Spirit is doing miracles and wonders. And drawing people to themselves. In a true consecration. In a family. The whole family clears out of the place during worship. That shows that the Spirit is not right. It's dangerous. But. We can start another community, another church, another movement and call people, get emails and phone numbers and do whatever you want. But the question is, if you are not walking with God and you're able to leave God's presence, none of your activity will be accepted with God. None of it. And so the Lord says in First Corinthians 3, every work, every ministry will be tested by fire. On that day, there will be those who will have everything burned up in front of their eyes. What a waste. Imagine an investor coming and saying, we'll buy this property, we'll rear buildings and business, this is going to be a booming town. We're going to make this wasteland into a profitable venture and transform this community, the whole landscape. We can project by all our projections with our advisors, financial gurus and real estate moguls, that within one year, we're going to see this place bringing a net profit to the town, the city, of $2.1 million. This is how we're going to do it. 
Imagine if while they're investing in this, all this capital, somebody comes and says, you know, they've tried it before, and as soon as they finish the project in one year, um, the ground gave way. It's all bad ground. Can't you see those houses sinking over there? Look at them. They're crooked. It's bad ground. It's very, very uh, malleable and there's a lot of water underneath. People, they don't do business here. They don't buy property. Oh, you're just, you're jealous, aren't you? Get this fellow out of here trying to stop progress. Okay, let's go on board. What happens? Imagine if, just like this man said, as soon as they have the ribbon cutting and they have the mayor and the congressman and all of these people and the local sports hero. Big to do. And you see those big buildings and businesses turn crooked. Physically, the building starts to sink on one side and eventually the whole thing collapses. How foolish. How foolish not to investigate when the caution is given. This is how human beings do year after year especially in the ministry. And you have people who love those ministries. They're crooked in the sight of God, but they love it because it's free hot dogs for everybody. Barbecue Saturday. This church loves me. They feed me till I roll, as one pastor told me. Come to my house, I'll feed you till you roll. Meaning you become so chubby. You become like a ball and you roll down the ground. That pastor, by the way, left the ministry to become a real estate. I should say an insurance agent somewhere down south. But you had a motorcycle ministry attached to that ministry. You had a kids ministry. You had pantry. You had a uh, connection with the local radio station, Christian program. You had a whole bunch of things going on. And as I mentioned before, the pastor told us in private, in a home gathering, Directly to myself and Pastor Kerber. You know, I'm I'm really not geared to be a pastor. I'm 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 supposed to be a CEO of a company. This Assemblies of God pastor told us that. I'm set to be a CEO, not a pastor. I inherited this from my father, and I've been doing this. It's okay. God is good, but I believe that God has called me to be a CEO of a company, and I'm gonna switch professions. Pastor Kerber said the highest calling be a pastor. He was dumbfounded and said something else to sidestep that. But you see, when there's no reverence for the living God, no connection with Him, it's a show. God have mercy. Let's finish this quickly. And thou shalt put the mitre upon His head. We're in verse Six. You shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil poured on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them. And you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute, so you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. Eli, Eli, I should say, not Eli. 
Eli presumed upon that. He said, well, I'm in the priestly class. It's me and my sons. Were, oh, my sons got killed. What a tragedy. My boys died. I tried to warn them, but they didn't listen. They were so immoral and wicked, and they were greedy, taking the sacrifice for themselves. Oh, these sons of mine. Silly. God news they got killed. Eli fell backwards, and his neck broke, being about 98 years old. That's how seriously God takes it. But somebody says, well, surely this must be a God-approved ministry because that man over there, that pastor, he's been doing this for 50 years and he's famous. Remember, Eli was 98 years old. Some men's sins go before them. They get punished before they go to the judgment. Others afterwards, after they die. We need to know all of this so that we clean up our act, make sure we know who we hear and why and why we're where. If you're headed for heaven, you need to know the scriptures and have that fear of God. That You don't worship yourself but do it your way. Everything has to be God's way. He's God, not us. He's good. You shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting. Verse 10, And Aaron and the sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall take some of the bull, blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails or the entrails and the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull with its skin and its offal you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. That uh, fecal matter, dung, to take that and the flesh and burn it outside the camp. Sin offering. Then he says, you shall also take one ram and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram, and he shall kill the ram. They saw the slaughter of the animals. They had to see. This is happening because of our sins. Sin is deadly. They saw it graphically portrayed in front of them. And you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around on the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs and put them with its pieces and with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Is it the, the flesh that has the sweet aroma? In the book of Revelation it says the prayers of the saints are like incense. It's the heart behind the offering that matters most to God, that will make the offering acceptable and pleasing to God. Praise God for the songs that God has given this church through Pastor Kirba, such as pleasing sacrifice. The very words are foreign to most of the churches. They think offering is offering, tithe is tithe. No, it has to be accepted with God. If he rejects it, it will become a curse to the person. But we can be pleasing to the Lord. 
this verse 18 is under the assumption very clearly that the priest that's offering and the people they're coming with the right heart because we see very clearly God refuses people to even come to his altar with anything he said I don't want anything from you why because you are cruel people you oppress your brother your sister your family you try to play God and you are vicious he said you cheat people glorifying yourself and you're doing all kinds of things I don't want your offering God says who do you think I am in Malachi would you do that to your father or your governor bring some gift that's full of holes and gross blemished God says how dare you do that with me on the one hand he's talking about the quality of the item brought of the tithes that it should be the very best the first fruits the other hand has to correspond with the primary indicator for acceptability with God which is your heart better be right oh my God no wonder Jesus said if you bring your gift to the altar leave it there if you have a problem with the brother go and reconcile then come and give the offering how beautiful and wonderful of God to give us all that we need to know that before we ever come to church to a meeting we know God says you better be right don't show up then if you're not right if you don't show up the devil will take you to his meeting so don't think oh well I'm not going to show up because it's you know I'm not right I have a problem I don't think I'm ready to solve it it's going to take another week at least I'll miss service and watch it on YouTube whatever you know hear it on the recording you can do that but if you didn't come because you didn't want to be convicted you will be with the devil's meeting he'll have a meeting with you he'll force you into his meeting you have a harder time getting right with God it's better to come and even during the service if somebody didn't do their homework and say well I'm coming to the Lord's presence even in a meeting I better get right and they're convicted on this oh I forgot to do this oh I remember God's word now break down right there cry from your heart to God say Lord I'm full of sin Lord please forgive me Lord I don't want to leave your presence please forgive me I promise not to do this again and maybe at that point you need to make a phone call or go and apologize to somebody before you continue with the meeting or the service who takes this seriously who cares a very little portion of the Christian community that's why a very little portion of the Christian community at large will make it to heaven others will go into hell according to God's word only a few will find it and you shall take that ram we read actually up to verse 19 I believe verse 20 then you shall kill the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood all around the altar The man of God 
the person who is called of God, consecrated, anointed of God, better be able to hear from God. Otherwise, they'll be grabbing sermons off the net from their buddies, from commentaries, and they'll make a whole package and the people will love it. They'll all go to hell. Because no one is called to serve God to bring their own package, but to come empty and be in a position to receive from God, to give what He has. Never mind what people think or feel. Supposed to deliver what God gives. But in order to deliver that, we have to be able to get it from Him. In order to receive it from Him, we have to be able to hear. The right side stood for strength. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. They have to be able to hear. Consecrate the ears. How many pastors read the papers and they read all kinds of papers to be up on the current events so that they can speak intelligibly about the various political things happening and really wonderful sermon. People will come for miles to hear that pastor speak. speak. Well, he talks about contemporary things and he's really on the money and he, I'm glad he's a Democrat. It's my kind of pastor or whatever party. And I like the way he ties in politics with religion and uh, and the ball game too. He's something else, boy. Consecration to hear what God has to say. Spending time, quality time, on the face before the Lord. Kneeling before the Lord. And the right foot, right hand. Everything is God's. The actions have to conform to God's standards. The ministry has to be done God's way. Sprinkle the blood all around the altar. And you should take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments, on his sons and on the garments of his sons with them. Imagine that. They mix it with the anointing oil. It's blood on the garments. Everything had to be touched with blood, as it says in Hebrews. Why? It's got to be purified. Everything's got to be pure before God. See how different of a standard it is than what's out there? And he and his garments shall be hallowed, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Also, you shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, the right thigh, it is a ram of consecration. One loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Remember, there are people, congregation, that have flags and they'll wave and they'll do all kinds of things. They have a lot of paraphernalia that's supposed to be holy and consecrated in the celebration. Let's celebrate Sunday. Just like God will refuse anyone who does this here, even though he instituted that. He doesn't care about anything anyone does if their hearts are not right before him in obedience by faith. If it is, it becomes acceptable to him, something well-pleasing to him. If it's done modestly, decently, 
by the leading of the Holy Spirit, not to cause a show or performance and rile people up. Sometimes people try to rile others up with with prayer or dance. They try to motivate them. Well, if I jump a little, they'll jump too. If I say, shout hallelujah, I can get the whole congregation shouting hallelujah. Isn't it good? No, it's not good. You're not here to do that. But to worship God yourself. Focus on the Lord completely. If the Spirit of God uses you to inspire someone, that's good, but not you. Doing it yourself. Then you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And from the ram of the consecration you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering which is waved, and the thigh of the heave offering which is raised, of that which is for Aaron and of that which is for his sons. It shall be from the children of Israel, for Aaron and his sons by statute forever. For it is a heave offering. It shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel, from the sacrifice of their peace offerings. That is their heave offerings to the Lord. Imagine somebody this morning hearing this message. And saying, God, we are in September. Does this mean that for the past nine months or so, God, that none of my offerings were accepted by you? Because I didn't come with a pure heart. I came fighting with someone. I had bad intentions. Lord, I came to pretend like I'm okay. I came without reconciling as you commanded. I just threw your commandments behind my back. Didn't matter what you said, what to do before I bring the offering. My thing was to show up and to present my offering. I didn't do it right. That's an extreme example and it could be possible. God only knows. But even in such a scenario, if today, say, my God, nine months of vain offerings, Lord, you never accepted it. Today, I vow to come to the house of God in meetings where I offer not only my tithes and offerings but my praise and my thanksgiving, my hands when I lift it up. Help me to be clean during the week, Lord. Be able to come honestly before you. May my offering be acceptable to you because I'm a person who loves and forgives. I'm a person who doesn't manipulate people and oppress people and try to make myself look good and boss people around. I'm a person who is very careful not to hurt people's feelings unless it is giving a truth and they don't want the truth. Certainly will not oppress people. I'm a person who will not lie or cheat. I'm a person who loves and fears God and wants to obey every single commandment He gave me because every single commandment is required to be obeyed and it is life to me. I'm a person who will lead my family in the ways of the Spirit, in kindness and humility, and keep my mouth shut when I should to show them. I'm a person that won't be moody and turn a cold shoulder and slam the door in somebody's face or not give them what's due to them 
or mess with it to show my anger. I'm a person that won't give people asylum treatment because I'm upset and angry. But I'll be kind and humble, easy to entreat, easy to be won over, not hard to get. Only those people's offerings will be accepted. We need to know that. How carefully and how thoroughly we must cleanse ourselves before we come to the presence of God. And what a joy to begin to practice, as we heard last night from Pastor by the Spirit of God. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Takes practice. So stop doing evil. That's exactly what God said to the people in the Old Testament. So he says the New also. Stop doing the wrong thing. Do the right thing. Oh, Mom... The teacher told me when I do penmanship and handwriting, you got to use your fingers like this. You know, hold it like as if you'd hold a dart and point it down, have your thumb there, the index finger around it. I remember teaching the handwriting to little children in the Christian school years ago. And how you want to form those proper skills. Put that middle finger as a bridge underneath the pencil and have good control, fine control. To do the strokes just right. Mom, I like to write with my toes. Forget about all that stuff. This is easy. Watch me. The big toe, that's my recipe, Mom and teacher. The big toe and then the next toe, and I put that pencil right between both of them, and I lift my little feet up, and I start writing. Isn't that beautiful? The teacher or the parent would say, no, 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 no. That's not the right way. No? What do I do? You see the kid with the big toe and the toe next to it and the pencil between the toes and he's got the foot up on the table. He's writing. But he's also got simultaneously going his right hand with the right position of the pencil. So in essence, he's killing two birds with one stone. He's writing twice as fast, covering more ground. His toes are going. His feet are writing. And so is his hand. His feet is writing, his hand is writing. No, you got to stop doing that stuff and do the right stuff only. So if somebody's bitter, stop being bitter. If you like to give people asylum treatment and turn around arrogantly and slam the door in their face, and when you cook their food, do it shabbily, say, here, take it. You're wrong before God. You're evil and cruel. God says, don't be like that and come to me. You can't continue like that. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. You're acting like the devil's child. Don't come here. Who does he say to? Oh, parents will love to say, grandparents and aunts and uncles, to the little ones who they want to train in righteousness. Say please and thank you and hold the door for people. That's rude. Don't do that. What does the adult do? Worse. Turning a cold shoulder to the people they live with. So arrogant, so haughty, so full of themselves. We need to stop and say, this is not Christ. And God is watching me. It's no use coming to worship on Sunday. Hands up or jumping or dancing or sitting quietly and meditating. It doesn't matter the external as much as the internal. God says, stop it. But I brought the title. No. Stop the other stuff. 
and then do the right stuff. Practice righteousness, right living, by being kind and humble, and prayerful, giving God the glory, talking to Him and thanking Him, leading your family, yes, everyone who knows you. Teach them how to fear God. If they don't, don't mingle with them because they're defying God to His face. They can be calling themselves Christians, but they don't follow God. They're the children of the devil. That's right. Your own family belongs to the devil if they don't worship God. Your job is to bring them to God. And even though we can't force people, we're not called to do that. You're supposed to be such an example that they know, as I mentioned the other day, they can't send certain pictures to you by text. They can't say certain things. They know the standard. And don't congratulate yourself and say that, well, they know the standard, they can't send the curse word, but can they indulge you in some foolishness? Can they indulge you in some scorning of someone? Can they indulge you in wasting time and talking about other people and blaming everybody else so you can boost them up because they belong to your flesh and blood? That's says, don't be a hypocrite. Don't judge yourself by your own standard, but judge yourself by my standard. In other words, do the things I say. It's not burdensome. It's not grievous. Be a real Christian. And then come to my presence and offer, and I will gladly, delightfully accept you. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be on his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. That son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days when he enters a tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place. And you shall take the ram of the consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. Then Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You, with all this, you think they're going to eat casually and or they're going to eat carefully, reverently. Surely the latter. They shall eat those things with which the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offerings or of the bread remains until the morning, and you shall burn the remainder with fire, it shall not be eaten because it is holy. So off limits. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them. And you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it. And you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it. And the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. Seven, of course, stands for perfection or completion. God says do a thorough work. Our first job, all of us, is to do a thorough work of self-examination before God according to His holy standard, His word. Not our feelings or what we think. Repent before God truly with a broken heart. To Lord, I've been living my own way in this area, in that area. Acting like Lucifer, Lord. I want to be yours and only yours. 
help me, Lord, to do it your way. Help me, help me, help me. And then get to work. See, when the opportunities come to act like you did the other day, don't do it. Practice righteousness. Do it the right way. From the heart. Really love. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year. Day by day, continually. Sacrifices every day. They saw that. Blood is being shed. Why? Why? The children will be asking. Because of our sins, my child. God is holy. It's the only way we can be covered. Otherwise, we'll be cut off. One lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of a hen of pressed oil, one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight. You shall offer it with the grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning for a sweet aroma. An offering made by fire to the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord where I will meet to meet you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also notice how many times the word consecration is there and hallowed and holy. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I pray. And you help each one of us, Lord, to be right with you at all times. Help us, Lord, to make that our number one business every single day for the rest of our lives. To be right with the Lord from the heart. Thank you, Jesus. That, Lord, whatever we offer, our prayers, our praises, our worship, our offerings, our tithes, our talents, everything will be accepted by you, Lord. That's the goal. We want to be accepted by you in the beloved Lord Jesus Christ by following him, being in the light as he's in the light. You will not accept darkness. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for purifying us more and more with the Holy Word, to have a deeper reverence, Lord, to walk humbly with you, loving you with a perfect heart. Thank you, O Father. Oh, praise your holy name, Lord. Thank you, Lord. May each one of us be ambassadors to convey the same message that we've heard today. Unashamedly, boldly, to everyone, they may know who is God, what his nature is like, and what he requires of everyone that should come to him. Thank you, Father in heaven. And through the blood of Jesus, we have a way to come to you. It requires repentance. You did your part, Lord. Help us, Lord, to tell people to do their part, even as we do our part. Thank you, Father in heaven. And thank you, Lord, your God of healing, God of wonders. You love us, Lord. When we love you and your truth, you'll do everything for us. So I pray your blessing, your healing upon everyone, Lord. 
who needs healing, oh my Father, relieve them, help them. I praise you, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God.